All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website, at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your money wise guys you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162 if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 1.2%, about 375 points. The S&P 500 last week was up about 54 points, or 1.4%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 193 points, or 1.7%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 2.7%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 3.4%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 13%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, I don't know if we need to dub this past week as the attack of the yelling, or as Dad likes to call her, Mrs. Elmer Fudd, where she promptly opened up mouth and inserted foot, uh, particularly on Wednesday, um, as Jay Powell was giving his press conference after raising interest rates or the federal fund rate by a quarter of 1% or 25 basis points. Um, you know, the fact that she is the former chairperson of the Federal Reserve, Treasury Secretary now, uh, has some experience. You would think by now, at her, at her tenure, she would understand that words have consequences. Well, Kyle, in defense, look at the administration. I mean, he's, well, he's not the only one in the administration point. who speaks, and there's really very little con- – I mean, there are consequences there, but it's not – anyways, <laughs> well, I just had to throw that out there because I was – Joe, point well taken, point well taken. I, I would agree with you. I mean, look at who she's affiliated with. The the, the idiocy has definitely fully rubbed off on her. Um, and, what, and what I'm talking about to all of our listeners is that didn't catch it, and as I just mentioned – the Federal Reserve on Wednesday uh, raised interest rates, the overnight interest rate uh, for the federal funds rate by 25 basis points or a quarter of 1% to 4.75 to the 5% range. 
Now, the language um, that was given in the press conference was a little bit more dovish, and the market was responding, you know, as it normally does with a lot of volatility. But towards the end of the day on Wednesday, it seemed that the rug had just gotten pulled right underneath, right out from underneath the market's feet. And then it was um, revealed after the market closed that Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, contradicted herself in one interview and then testimony she gave in front of Congress where she made the comment that uh, basically I think the market interpreted is we're not going to bail out banks due to moral hazard, something to that effect. And the market responded very negatively to that and promptly went right to the 200-day technical line for the S&P 500. And I know Jim Cramer at 5 o'clock, as I heard his show, uh, he threw quite a bit of shade her direction, and it was definitely well-deserved. Now, I don't always agree with what uh, Jim Cramer says, nor his stock picks, uh, Silicon Valley Bank included. But he definitely was dead on throwing shade at Janet Yellen for opening her mouth and saying what she said. Now, of course, the next day, things kind of calmed down, and she kind of backtracked what she said. But this just goes to show the the market is still kind of this cat on a hot tin roof, and it's so primarily focused on the banking sector and what's happening in the banking world all around the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the markets are edgy. I mean, there's really no other way to describe it. I, I'll take a little bit of disagreement with your assessment of uh, of the or your opinion that the Fed was dovish. I, I guess you have to define dovish. Firm. Uh, to, to, to me, the word firm. Yeah. Well, th- please when explain. I, when I when I think I, of the word, well, let me let me explain first. So when right. I think of the word dovish, I think of there's interest rate cuts to come. And that was not what we heard in the meeting on Wednesday. What we heard was, or at least what I heard, was we're coming to the end of this cycle, but I didn't hear anything about, and as soon as this cycle ends, we're going to immediately start cutting rates. That is not what I heard. So I I didn't really, if, if you want to say the rate raising cycle is coming to an end, and and from that point of view, the rate raising cycle continuing is dovish. What he said was was dovish in terms of that, but in terms of overall changes to interest rates going the other way, at least in terms of the Fed funds rate, I didn't interpret what he had to say as as dovish. Now he did, and I'm going to just read this quote. Uh, the 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 attention seems to be being turned away from future interest rate increases and how much all of these interest rate increases may have an effect on credit. And I'm just going to give you this quote from Powell. Estimates of how much any credit contraction could reduce hiring, economic activity, and inflation were rule of thumb guess point, guesswork almost at this point. But we think it's potentially quite real and that argues for being alert as we go forward. So what he's saying here is, is we have no idea how much any credit contraction that may be occurring through the through all these interest rate increases plus what has been happening in the banks here of late, how much that's going to affect hiring, economic activity, and inflation. So 
this credit contraction, which I think is taking place right now, I think we can all agree with that, is going to have the effect of of reducing economic activity even more. But there wasn't anything in here that I'm saying that that I'm seeing that's saying, oh, but we're going to be cutting interest rates beginning this summer. I know we just got a few seconds left. Yes, Kyle. Well, and and again, and I might have to carry this over to the next segment. When I said dovish, I wasn't I wasn't alluding to the fact that they were discussing cutting rates. I was alluding to the fact that three weeks ago we thought that they were going to have to be raising rates higher for longer. But based on the statement, part of that quote that you just gave. It's that the Fed is actually going to be ending their interest rate increasing cycle much sooner and taking their terminal rate to a lower level than where they thought it was going to be a few weeks ago. That's what I meant by more dovish, not that they were going to be cutting rates anytime soon. But let's pick this conversation up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Moneywise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week, we were discussing Fed decision this past Wednesday, raising the federal funds rate by 25 basis points or a quarter of 1%, but but focusing a little bit on some of the verbiage coming out of the Treasury Secretary's mouth, Janet Yellen, which kind of ripped the rug out from underneath the market on Wednesday. Um, and even though for the week we were positive, the market definitely did not get back to the intraday high that it had on Wednesday. So there was a little bit of... Um, there wasn't any uh, as much follow through on the buy side after Janet Yellen's comments, which I think were walked back. But what we were discussing before we went to break was I took the comments of Jay Powell in the press conference a little bit more dovish as far as not cutting interest rates anytime soon, not that part of the dovish tone, but the fact that what we thought three weeks ago of how high the federal fund rate was going to have to go and how many more interest rate increases they were going to do prior to all this bank fiasco over the last couple of weeks was going to be much higher. But now after this press conference, it appears that May could be uh, their last interest rate increase of this cycle or they may not raise interest rates at all. We just don't know because Jeff was going into a little bit more depth in the last segment that we don't know what the true fallout is going to be from the banking situation. We know that the credit is going to be getting tighter for borrowers and for consumers and what that total end effect is going to be on economic activity, which in the end could also help the Fed in their inflation flight fight. Excuse me. And I know, Joe, you wanted to add something. Well, in- Kyle, when analyzing all this data, and I heard from multiple, you know, talking heads, that smaller banks, regional banks, obviously won't have the credit to lend to smaller businesses. Therefore, they're not going to be able to hire. They're not going to spend on payroll. They're not going to be able to spend, period. So you could have a little bit harder recession 
than what maybe they're anticipating. Not a soft landing, but a harder landing. So you could have rates, uh, you could have them stop raising rates, but you could have a recession, which could obviously impact the market. So my question to you guys is this. Are we going to hear a new phrase called transitory recession pretty soon? I just want to know. <laughs> I want to know. I'm throwing it are out you, there, you, and I want to be the first recording? one to say that, because that's, that's going to come out next year's an election year. It's coming. I guarantee it's coming. I just, my. So so you're courting, you're courting the phrase transitory recession. I'm not guaranteeing it, but think about it. Transitory inflation, transitory recession. Next year's an election year. I'm not throwing it out there, but I would not be surprised if. Something like well, that, a quick recession, flash recession, whatever. But well, I, I, I can tell you all the conversations I've had with our clients over, you know, really going this whole entire year. You know, I think we all three have been in agreement and in the same camp that we anticipated some type of recession this year. I mean, I, I think it's you, – you can't have this level of interest rate increases over this period of time and not have some negative economic effect, especially when, again, we're starting to see – Negative earnings like we saw last, you know, last quarter in the S&P and that a potential continued follow through. Now you tack on this banking situation, which I know a bank deposit report came out after the close on Friday and everything looked okay. You know, there wasn't this massive outflow of deposits from the smaller banks and the super regional banks. And so the deposit flows looked stable from what I saw in the report after the close on Friday. So. It's just going to take some time to get away from this hand-wringing we've been dealing with with the banking situation over the past few weeks. we got to get further away from it. But I think we all agree it is going to have a negative effect on the economy. And if the Fed was projecting 3% GDP growth for the first quarter of 2023, but now they've updated their end-of-year GDP number to four tenths of a percent to get from three, if three is the number for the first quarter, down to 0.4 percent GDP growth, then we're definitely going to have some potentially some tougher quarters ahead, which again will then lend itself to the Fed starting to cut their interest rates. And the way the bond market, particularly on the shorter end of the yield curve, has been behaving. It's saying that obviously we got some potential traders in there looking for a hot trade of buying treasuries, but I think also it's a safety, it's a safety move for some traders and some money managers that are anticipating a little bit tougher economic slog ahead for potentially the most likely from those folks that thought we were going to have a nice smooth landing of the economy or kind of a no landing at all. I think well, that's that, all got, that all got thrown out of the, out the yeah, window totally when, we, agree. When, we, when we started having these bank failures. Now bank failures are not uncommon. I mean, they happen in every down cycle, down economic cycle. I mean, they do. It's just it's just a fact of capitalism. There's always some banks that mismanaged themselves into failure. The question I have before you guys is if, if we're all in agreement that there's going to be a recession of some kind, when you look back at the all these recessions, say going back to 1980, stocks have never bottomed prior to the recession. They've always bottomed in the recession. They've never bottomed before. So if if that 
statistic holds true for this recession that we're predicting here, then that means that stocks would have to go lower than that September low that we had last year. And what you, I, what we were talking about price to earnings ratios earlier, Kyle, I think a few days ago, and you were, you looked at your one measurement and you, you, you were saying it was like 21 or something like that. Correct. I mean, has there has there ever been a market bottom in a recession with PEs at twenty one? But well, but hold on, let's put a little caveat. If you strip second, out right. if you strip out the megatech names that had the no, largest no, 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 market, not, hold on, we're not, we're not stripping out anything. No, 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 Jeff, because this is a very misleading statement that you're making. Because if you strip out the highest market cap tech companies, you strip them out of the S and P 500. The S and P 500's PE ratio is lower than it is over its ten-year average. So the PE is actually lower than its ten-year average. So you take those big tech names out that have had these big run-ups so far this year. Then the PE is at a much more reasonable level, and the market isn't as overpriced as some of the bearish pundits in the financial entertainment press, you included, that talks about it. But those stocks are still part of the S&P. And how much of the S&P's performance this year has been driven by those top names? What's the second What's the second best performing stock this year in the S&P 500? It's Facebook, Meta Platforms, up almost 70%, right? Thank I mean, you for the grilling of the TikTok CEO yeah, this you know, past week. But how Thank much was it down last year? You know, how yeah, much was it, it down got, last year? It was Thank a value God. stock. Its so, PE was like 13 <laughs> last year. It was a actually, I think it got down to a single digit price earnings multiple. Well, uh, that was a value stock. A but, couple things. When you're throwing out statistics like the S&P, the S&P is always market weighted. So there's always going to be five or six stocks that yeah, skew. It's market cap weighted. So, it's skews, so you got to be yeah, kind of careful so how you use that number. Exactly. So, That's why I had to right. talk about that, because if you're just focusing strictly on the P.E. as a valuation of the 503 companies that are in the S&P 500, then it could be very misleading. It's it's kind of like the liberal left media when they leave out certain aspects of the story that completely changes its perspective. It's just how it's reported. And so the more bearish analysts are going to be focused on the P.E., but when you really dissect it and break it down and pull out those larger market cap weight stocks, like you were saying, Joe, the P.E. changes significantly, showing that the broader S&P 500 index is not overvalued, is not overvalued. But, but Jeff, your point is very well taken, though, as far as looking at history that stocks typically bottom in the midst of a recession, not before. But potentially, where is that bottom? Is that bottom at the intraday low of 34.91 that we reached last October. We don't know. I don't, I don't well, know what I was doing in 1980 because I was 10 years old. And Jeff, how old were you back then in 1980? You would have been in high school? Freshman in high school. I, I, was, 15, I was in high school. Yeah. So <laughs> Jeff's got a good point, but I also understand. You have to look at this, and if we had a recession, go into a recession, which technically you could argue anyways, that we wouldn't have already been in one. But this is brought on by a pandemic, supply chain issues, well, uh, geopolitical risk. Yeah, that's all the review. But I'm we're still, but, but we we have we're an still, end effect though. We're still yeah, dealing we're with the hangover. Of that. And I point. think where Joe's going with is that we've never, no one has navigated this kind of market conditions that a result of a global pandemic. I think is what Joe's saying. So yes, history 
has very valid points. And, and again, they say that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. So I understand your point, Jeff, completely. And I get that. And that's the other reason why we've been telling all of our listeners that you have to remain very, very patient and move very slowly and keep your weights to equities more underweighted like we have been all year, right around just under a 41% allocation to stocks for our moderate allocations. But let's pick up this on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 Two seven five two one six two. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we've been in a deep skull session, just uh, getting into all the happenings of Wall Street from last week and, you know, talking about kind of forward guidance and you know i you know at this point in time until we get further away from this banking situation i'm still not in the camp that the fed's going to be cutting rates before the end of this year and i don't know i know jeff you probably feel the same way at this point in time with the data we have at hand joe i don't want to speak for you but i know this is something that we all three have been in agreement all year I think the Federal Reserve's tool to fight any banking crisis is not cutting interest rates. It's all these these lending programs, or, or, programs or, yeah. or the you know the Fed, the go, banks going to the federal the Fed window. That's they, they're just not in the camp. I, I'm not. I haven't heard anything or you know believe that the the tool to solve any potential banking crisis that may rear its ugly head here domestically because it seems all the banking problems in the week just past have been in Europe, uh, not here. Uh, but if those start to rear their ugly heads here, uh, you know, in the United States, they're, they're not going to start cutting. I just don't believe they're going to start cutting interest rates because I think they're, they're more afraid because what, 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 what was the one thing again, we heard it was very much in passing. I barely caught it. I'm not sure if y'all caught it, but he, but in the first five minutes of Chairman Powell's uh, press conference on Wednesday, he again talked about the two percent target <laughs> on on inflation. He, he, yep. he, that they are just they're, dead. They're dead set. Water. They are they are dead set on not doing what happened in the 1980s because. They had that when we had that double dip recession where yeah. they were cutting rates and then they stopped. I think they may have, well, they, they were raised rates and they stopped. I think they may have done some cutting and then inflation came back and then Shazam, here we go again back the other way. They're definitely afraid of repeating that. So that's why I feel so strongly right now, given what's going on. That we're still at six six percent inflation year over year, if I'm if I'm remembering that correctly, you're correct. So they're they're just there's no motivation for them, the Federal Reserve, to cut interest rates. I don't know what's happening 
in 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 the in the broader bond market. It's it's complete insanity because I got all kinds of statistics. We could sit here and talk about what's happened in the last two weeks uh, with with how much yields have moved. You know, going back forty some odd years. Here here's one. I'll just read one. Now, this is through Wednesday, March the 15th. This doesn't include what happened last week. The yield on the two-year Treasury experienced daily moves of at least two-tenths of a percentage point for five straight trading days. Mm. Now, since 1977, the only other five-day streak was in December of 1980 when the two-year yield was more than three times what it is now. I mean, it was in, like, in double-digit. So the movements that are occurring in the yield curve, twos, threes, fives, tens, are, well, I'm not going to say unprecedented, but they are certainly historic in terms of, you know, us maybe as a this century, maybe, maybe, this, maybe this century. Well, well, no, since we've been in oh, business. Yeah. 89, yeah. So to me, that, that doesn't feel like a trend. It feels more like a trade. And I know that you know Kyle and I earlier this week were debating whether we should go out and 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 move out on the yield curve and and buy some bonds you know out you know five year maturities. And Kyle had some points, and I had some points. My my point was, why do I want to venture out five years in a corporate name with probably a credit? to get the same yield or maybe a little less than what I'm getting right now in our position traded money market fund that's getting ready to be four and three quarters percent here in the next two weeks now that the Fed's raised another quarter point. There's a little lag for the for the interest rate to reset. We're going to have four and three quarters percent probably by mid-April in a position traded money market fund. Why do I want to go out five years? I just don't think these yields are going to last. I, 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 don't, I don't see – See it. Ha- I see what's going back the other way. I see this as a trade. I see all this cash that just flew in to these safety trades because they were all wound up about contagion and banking crisis and all this. And so they all this money floods the treasury market, lowers all these yields. But as the weeks go by, as Kyle said, you know, in the previous segment, as the weeks go by. As we get months between the market and the SVB and so you know, that issue, the less likely it is that the market is going to continue to worry about some kind of domestic banking contagion a la 2008. And so to me, those yields should start to go back to where they were before. And by then, guess what? We're going to get another inflation number. And heck, if it's hot, remember, I don't know if y'all, y'all probably didn't catch this, but uh, uh, Britain's inflation weight went oh, yeah. back up again. 10.4%. So what's going to happen then if inflation ticks back up here? We'll get another reading in about three weeks. What if it ticks up a tenth of a percent or two tenths of a percent? What's the you know what's the thinking going to be then? Well, and, and, and like we've been saying on this program, why patience is going to be critical in and around here because everything is. I mean, the market has different points in its cycle where it's more data driven than at other times, but this is definitely. Every single report is the most important report. Every single decision is the most important decision. 
And this is why, you know, even for longer term investors, you just have to you, you just have to be in more of a defensive posture. And and yeah, we I don't want to prolong the debate that we had earlier this week on the fixed income side of why going out a little bit further in the yield curve for just a partial, you know, allocation, not the full rest of our allocation and fixed income that we want to move into, because you are right. Right now, we're getting such higher yields in our position-traded money market, but really you have to start thinking down the line. Are interest rates going to be higher or lower five years from now? I mean, there's a I very have no high- idea. No, I will well, sit here and say I have no idea. I'm not handicapped Dad that. would sit here and say he has no idea. Joe has no idea. I don't I- know how you could have any idea what interest rates are going to be five years from now. Well, these, I- guys, these guys on TV with their – I'm sorry – I'm gonna just, I'm gonna back it off a little bit because I was gonna say something that might offend some people. So I'm, no, please I say that. No, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> Come you on, know, Jeff. All the, all the geniuses on the East Coast, you know, I wouldn't believe you know Gunlock or all those other crew. They don't freaking know what interest rates are going to be in five years. None of us do. Well, I'm anticipating to see a a Republican in the White House after the November 2024 election. Um, The way that the polls are shaping up, it looks like we could be seeing Trump 2.0. And we know regulations are going to be coming down. The economy is going to be opened up. The border is going to be closed. We're going to get back to being energy independent. All the things that we should have remained when when he left. I don't know how I don't know how we got from from. What the politics just get I shifted in the second. He just like, wow, that just went away. Yeah. Yeah, Joe. Well, I wanted to point out, we were talking about being patient. And what do you do in your portfolio? And I had a call this week, and, you know, it was, it was, every once in a while you get a call about, well, how, what if I'm pulling out 5%? Why don't you go to cash right now? Then you have to explain to somebody, if you're taking out a 5% withdrawal stream, which is what we recommend, that's the – that's the, the highest percentage we would recommend to take it out of your IRA account or, or another account to, to take income out when you're retiring. Where are you, what are you going to get with four and a quarter or four and a half percent on a two-year treasury right now? Okay. You know, you're not going to get it done. What, yes, you can put your money if you have a money in a, in a position traded money market account getting what, 4.75? Well, how long is that going to last? And what if inflation sticks at about four or five percent? It doesn't get back to two. The, what, the point being That's is right. you'll have a you net negative return. You'll have a net and you have to have return. flexibility in your portfolio if you're retired or you're close to retirement to be able to, I hate to use this word pivot because that's been used a million times in the last two years by, you know, by everybody, all the talking heads Jeff's referring to. But I think you have to be flexible, patient and flexible, and you don't need to be overcommitted to stocks. You don't need to be buying, going five years out, uh, you know, on the yield curve and buying five-year uh, treasuries. Kyle and I were looking at corporates this year. I mean, a couple of days ago, you, you can't get much out of corporates because you can get the same out of a risk-free uh, treasury. So that's just my point is, is be patient. Don't be overcommitted to your allocation to going long against the yield curve and, and, and don't be overweight in stocks, meaning 70%, 80% if you need income right now. And you got to live on it. Well, no, I mean, I, I definitely would not recommend being 70 or 80% allocated to stocks. I mean, even in an aggressive account, because there are still too many, you know, unknowns. And, and for all intents and purposes, we are still stuck in this trading range that we've been in since October of last year. But, yes, if a recession is coming, 
And again, stock's not necessarily bottoming until we're into a recession. The $64,000 question is, where is that bottom? Is it at the $3,490, you know, intraday low level that we saw in October of last year? You know, nobody knows where that's going to be. But there's also statistics that show that stocks have risen and gone up even in the midst of a recession. Uh, So there's a lot of different uh, data points out there that have to be uh, researched and discerned. So. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, um, I know we were discussing during the commercial break what we wanted to discuss. And, you know, I came across an article, and I, and I know this article, Jeff, some statistics that you want to read that I think will lead into this article. Uh, so I wanted you to kind of go over those statistics. because I know this is something we've discussed on this show about the level of debt that consumers have amassed. In fact, it's at historic highs. But I ran across a very interesting statistic that even though the U.S. consumer is facing the highest credit card debts pretty much in history, when it comes to how much of their disposable income they have to use to service that debt is less than 10% of their disposable income. But you had some other statistics that you wanted to hit that will then lead into this article. So I wanted to cover that. Well, there's a statistic about living paycheck to paycheck. So this statistic just came out here in the last week, and it was nearly two, nearly two-thirds, which is about 65% of U.S. consumers now report living paycheck to paycheck, which is up from just 52% in April of 2021, which was just after the last round of COVID stimulus checks were distributed. Now, even among high-income consumers, which is a consumer earning more than $100,000 a year, more than half, little just like 51%, say they live paycheck to paycheck compared to 77.7% for consumers earning less than $50,000 a year. So right now, consumers that are making $100,000 a year or over, half of them are saying that they're living paycheck to paycheck, and more than three-quarters – of consumers that make less than $50,000 a year saying that they're living paycheck to paycheck. That's, that's scary. I mean, that's scary. Now, I thought, gonna, Jeff, I thought it was from the bottom up and the middle out. What, well, what happened to Biden's economic plan? Bottom I mean, up, the government will bail them out. Everybody knows the government will bail them out if it comes down to it. There's a big, I mean, you know. I mean, for, for, for the, for the Biden administration to come out and tout anything about economic policies and breaking their arms, patting themselves on the back, they need a cream pie right in the face because the bottom up and middle out, you just gave the statistics. 
and that, and, and they're absolutely dead wrong. They're absolutely dead wrong. And the bottom line is, come the 2024 election, I mean, all, whether it's Trump, DeSantis, whoever the candidate's going to be on the left, all they need to do is just read the statistics off of the Biden record. And that's all you need to do. Because I don't think anyone's standard of living has improved at all since the Biden administration has taken office. In fact, it's, it's gotten worse. And then you read these statistics, you know, record consumer, you know, credit card debt, Granted, it's a smaller percentage of disposable income, but then you have all these folks living paycheck to paycheck. And then I run across an interesting article is from a uh, Society of General analyst named Albert Edwards that was talking about how the Fed was wrong and that it was, and I know this is kind of sounding coming from the left, but talking about corporate greed being more of the culprit to high inflation, and it's not the wage price spiral that the Fed has talked about in these press conferences. And he threw up some pretty interesting charts, and this comes from Market Watch, and this was an article from Friday. And it's showing the level of profit margins at historic highs, meaning that whether you're a product producer or a service provider, The fact that we're dealing with the highest inflation we've seen going back to the early 80s, that companies and service providers are using this as a convenient excuse to just massively increase their profit margins. And so until the kind of consumer pushes back and resists and stops spending money, that they're going to continue to be able to use this high inflation excuse of why they're going to continue to charge these higher prices. Because we've talked about this on the program. The supply chain issues, they're really non-existent anymore. Now, there's still some little issues here and there with specific industries and businesses. But for all intents and purposes, the supply chain issues we dealt with 18 months ago, they're not there anymore. We're kind of back to the pre-COVID level. So I, I don't know if I necessarily say, agree with that, but well, I'm saying there's still some industries. I know there's still some industries that are an exception, Joe. So I will give you that. But then service providers, and Jeff, I know you've mentioned on this program, you know, every service that you have is all gone up in is all gone up in price. Yeah, they've all raised their prices, and even you know, though their input I'm, costs might not have changed at all. And well, when you look, when you look the, at the, the wage the, increases, when you see the wage increases that we've seen so far. The wage increases still do not cover the level of inflation that we're currently facing, which, as we said earlier in the program, the, the uh, CPI, Consumer Price Index, is right at 6%. But overall, wage growth has been around 4.6%, so there's still a negative gap. But when you have these corporations, when you have the companies that are using this as an excuse to just basically pad their bottom line, you know, that is what the kind of this this gentleman, Albert Edwards, was arguing, that the Fed needs to stop focus on stop focusing on the wage, you know, the wage price spiral and focus more on the corporate greed of well, the massive. Fed can't, Fed can't do anything about I that. Understand so, that. So the consumer has to, quote, unquote, push back, back, right? They have so to fight back. So the consumer pushes back, what does that mean? That if the consumer pushes back and is successful in pushing back, that's going to compress profit margins, which has – negative implications for stocks. Now, all stocks, no. Some stocks more than others. Uh, but you know, this, the fact that we've got all-time high profit margins tells me, again, this is another indication that I'm not 
100% convinced that the stock market valuations have uh, that need some more correcting. That 18, 19 PEs are too high, and that there still needs to be some. Uh, well, there has there has to be a lowering of of, of of price to earnings ratios. In my opinion, we have to go through some kind of a washout. Whether it takes months, I don't know. I I just. I, I, you know, I believe that we're going to go back at some point this year and retest those lows and potentially go lower. And it may happen very quickly. It may be something that happens in a month, and that's it, and we go back the other way. But I just don't see any way around it at this point. So as opinion. we've been as we've been preaching on this program all year, patience. Have a lighter allocation to stock. Don't overweight to equities. Be highly diversified, stocks growth at a reasonable price leading to value, have a little bit of growth participation. But, again, we're primarily focused more in the large cap arena. But, again, just be patient, dollar cost average, keep your emotions in check. But with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend, weekend's Money Watch program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. The Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know, there was a, a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time, and I've been thinking about it all week, and it, and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior and improving investors behavior and so doing some research and really where this spur you know really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago uh, Dalbar released a study and they release a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return um, and and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own and and from time to time when i meet with prospective clients and current clients we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios so in my research i actually ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family munder i want to give them the credit for for putting this presentation together which i thought was just fantastic presentation that i wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought but it also includes some of these dalbar statistics about investor psychology 
and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time, in fact, the 20-year time period, and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them, but also how to not allow humans, the, your human psyche become a roadblock to investing for your future. So looking at this presentation, you know, historic historic invested investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish object objectives and achieve re and achieve returns. The result is is that investors are not going to reach their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. Investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that, that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying, first they're looking and trying to identify trends that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, they also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in 2008 and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's, yep. a, that's a particularly egregious example of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, has a bias towards promoting a investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers, which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, the, the, the really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys. Glenn Beck, uh, Sean, Hannity. Sean Hannity. You know, you listen to these shows, every one of them's got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time, may still, I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long, run, runs gold ads. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and again, we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press because, again, this 24-hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tune it out a little bit more or if they do continue to listen to it to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis. You know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses. And really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains. And that's one thing that, that in particular really holds investors back is is always having i mean losses from 2000 losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind 
um, that's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market. You know, something else from an emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth. And I know with a lot of the self-help books out there, with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites, I think there's a false sense of security that can be built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part-time on my own. And I can tell you, you know, with 70-plus years of combined experience sitting in the studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part-time and be successful over the long term. It's just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. And then finally, you know, this all can lead to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns where none exist. You know, one thing that in individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing the hot investment du jour for the many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class. For many years, it's been what? Precious metals. It's been all about gold. The late 90s was the internet silver. stocks. Uh, and then, but gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, had been one of the hottest areas. And then, you know, here uh, lately, in the last uh, three, four years, it's been social media. Uh, we've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world, mm-hmm. uh, th- that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had co- they've had a, not, a, a pretty uh, good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that that should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are that are managing their own assets. And one one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the stock du jour or the sector du jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to – being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves – uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well, but ignoring 
those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio. And I've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a 10, 12, 13% dividend yield, and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they're giving a 12 to 13% dividend yield, and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. So let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data. Uh, they've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions, and we've talked about them on this show for years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. They're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typic typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And, I mean, that's one thing that we've preached on the MoneyWise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict philosophy, as we do here at Davidson Capital Management, as a balanced manager. A, a disciplined behavior has many different that's aspects. Right. You know, one of those, and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined is especially in a retirement account is participating in your 401k contributing as as much as you can if you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401k that obviously that's going to give you the the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis Time and time again, and I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time, and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly, biweekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments, identical allocations, because it gives us the the investment manager the ability to to buy could always be in the market buying securities maybe you know like right now we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down mm -hmm. and by dollar cost averaging all the time and having the discipline to contrib contributing to your retirement and even if you're not contributing if you if you've maxed out your 401k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account, get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one too, and investing consistently in, in that in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So, as you said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also uh, went and calculated the guest-right ratio. And what the guest-right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed 
the direction of the market. Over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather this data? I have no idea. How I'm they not sure. I mean, again, they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data. The bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision making. And that's what they that's again what what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at uh, investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision making. And so they've actually listed a number of psychological factors that every investor has when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this kind of going through all of these that are presented by Dalbar, the first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no well, risk. Well, isn't this... In kind of a, a selling or a attempted selling point for equity index, the new Oh, brother, did you hit that one right on the head? You're absolutely right. I mean, they use this psych. I mean, again, marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors' decision making, and they're putting it into their presentations. And like you said, this loss aversion, all the upside, none of the downside. Every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches, and so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist, and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations. Allah. Equity indexed annuities, and, and let's give an example. Recently, you we we'd, we've seen all sorts of equity indexed annuities over the years. Yes, and I can tell you that our typical experience for an investor that has held an equity indexed annuity, say over at least a five year time period, that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S&P 500 index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S&P, it's even it's even less than a third, Jeff. Yeah. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent prospective client of our moderate allocation, our middle of the road more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse, like for five years, the the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm -hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an, an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20% or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re and the difference between the two is... Well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors, again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you 
uncover some more facts after the fact that you made that decision and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio because Glenn Beck said to. And then, what, one week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on, on air and said, hey, I'm I, a schlub. I, I, I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything about investments. So the, the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. That's that right. was the inappropriate investment, was taking everything out and putting it into cash. That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision-making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method, but can mislead investors unless it is used with caution. So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment, if analogies are used to represent stability and analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations again leads back to indexed annuities when I read this I just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state and again using now this psychological effect of anchoring you know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product. And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, for, for example, but there are other examples such as private placement, REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm-hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the, the value of the security could go down and how uh, those, those, t- those aspects of the investment are not discussed. But the focus is all on the yield. That's right. And, and not, and not you know, can I get my money out if I need to liquidate? How fast can I get a hold of my money? And what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment? Kind of going back to that. I'm getting a 10% yield, but I've lost 50% of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior and we'll do that after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break welcome back you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management if you'd like to learn more about the money wise guys you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on monday you can reach us in our local corpus christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1-800-275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior and and again going into uh, psychological factors that Dalbar, who is a, a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys, you know, I wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have uh, or, or how the psychological mindsets can, can hurt investors' portfolios over the long term. And so we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect. We've talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring. But we talk about next is mental mental accounting and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others and i would say the best example jeff in this area would be in precious metals 
That would be that would be one area. I could I would also say that in the, to us in this market environment, taking risk in long maturity fixed income securities. That's right. And avoiding the the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in investing in stocks to us, and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show, is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity fixed income securities, whether they be municipal, government, corporate, than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies. We see more risk in owning a 30-year Exxon bond than we do maybe owning Exxon stock or AT&T or Verizon or hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies. So So, even though you're talking about gold in particular, because we've seen a lot of uh, many clients that have have had large positions in gold, but I could also say the same thing for cash, you know, just plain old straight cash. The risk that uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. So, so mental accounting can be as damaging to returns as any other psychological factor since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio, now this is interesting, diversification. Now in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now it's extremely valuable investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return-killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Cramer when people call up and say, am I diversified? Yes. And they have three five. or four stocks. And five. five. Yeah, five stocks saying, am I diversified? And Cramer's saying, well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks. That is not, in our opinion, diversification. Something else where diversification saying, yeah, I'm diversified. What if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry? And I hate to quit picking on gold, but gold miners, for instance. I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and and different precious metal miners. And guess what? They feel that they're diversified, but they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds. Cash. Cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector. That's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, Another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, herding. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Investors that go along with the crowd, simply because there is a crowd, tend to avoid catastrophic errors, but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding. And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success. I mean, even to thinking more of a contra- you know, being more of a contrarian, as opposed to following the herd. Another f- psychological factor is regret. 
you know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made, you're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who defear, who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions but is unlikely to produce higher potential returns. So again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their, their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm-hmm. And when you get too busy you, 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 and you run out of time or you're too tired, you've got other responsibilities, then you, can't, you cannot take the, you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio, understand what's going on, and take action when action needs to be taken. That's right. And so here's another one that, again, goes along with the media. Media response. It's a tendency. It's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news without reasonable examination. Going back to that Glenn Beck example, familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer, faster, and low-cost outlets. At the same time, new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication. The question of reliability rises, raise, excuse me, raises the concern about reacting to news. So, again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then, finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program, what's the bad four-letter word? Hope. Hope. The belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 12-31-2013. According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period, up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, and I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a, a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know it it's going to be close to that. To I mean, when we're talking about the S&P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers. But because you know, 5% is very low. 
You know, most people plugged into their their investment projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio. Uh, I don't think anybody was using five percent. Well, a twenty-year bond twenty years ago would have yielded more than five percent. Mm-hmm. Which means if you had just bought a twenty-year bond twenty years ago and held it for the twenty years, you would have done better than the average investor from the study. I, I think the average one hundred percent in stock. Yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again. Well, you know, I, I think, again, Jeff, when you when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion, and along with these psychological factors that we went into, but emotion, your, emo- your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg, again, I, I think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions. And one huge advantage of having... A professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control, and by taking those assets out of your control. That's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion, and it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio. You know, and you know again, an old saying that investors would have. I mean, here's something an investor would say to themselves: you know, a stock's historic high was fifty dollars, but then it declines rapidly. The next thought in an investor's mind is, well, once my stock gets back to fifty, I'll sell, and that is. Hope, hope. Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break, so we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this and proving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior. And as Dad said, the commercial break, we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing. And I promise you, we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior. But before we get there, I want to talk about, again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed income. Too much cash. That's right. It's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away. So the reason why, again, we maintain a balanced philosophy of Davidson Capital Management, we've had for the past quarter century, and for the next quarter century, we'll continue to have that balanced allocation. Remember that the market is not going to reward 
those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area. And also you have to remember, investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming. You know, failure to diversify a portfolio, you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic-driven events. So, again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and, again, to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So how do we correct the behavior? You know, how do investors correct the behavior? Well, first and foremost is having an asset allocation, an initial asset allocation model and an ongoing asset allocation model, and an allocation model that is rebalanced. It's not set it and forget it because we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio Set it and forget it is is one of the, the most common asset allocation that is typically found with uh, a relationship that is more sales oriented than it is active management or meaning the investor has a relationship with a full service broker uh, they they're not in the business of managing portfolios they they typically set an initial allocation and when the, when the money's deposited and they move on when you buy an annuity the initial asset allocation is set and then that's it you move on so another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a 15 to 20 percent annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic. I, you know, today when we when I see prospective clients, the issue is not having the 15% plus, the, the double-digit type return expectations like we saw in the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's saying, oh, I want a 10% return, but I don't want, but I only want 20% of my money in stocks. That's what we're seeing now. There, there, there's a there's a aversion for risk, but the, the, the return uh, expectations are reasonable by and large, but what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say, now, you have to understand, if you want an 8%, 9% return, you're going to have to have 70% of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second, I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector. It's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic, fixed income and equity, cash holdings, maintain that true diversification. Another great way to help improve returns, and Jeff, I know you said this earlier in the hour, dollar cost averaging into investments. If you have a 401k, if you have an IRA, if you have a taxable account, setting up monthly contributions, or if you're in a 401k, per pay period contributions. We know in 25 years of business, we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning, and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation model, one client that's putting in money every month, another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment 
and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking. We've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes, with our own client base. It's somewhere, it it's somewhere between 2 and 3% per year compounded, which doesn't sound like a lot, but get out of cal- that's a difference between a 7% compounded return and a 10% compounded return. And that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely. Another way to help improve your returns, staying in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not timing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging, even when we have very choppy waters, you know, again, what we're trying to convey is the all-in, all-out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active, actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I, God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. Investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day-to-day gyrations. And Stay focused on your long-term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer. And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It via, is. Via it is. television and gazillion channels of TV the internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC, CNBC news feeds, Market Watch. There's, you have to consume media uh, lightly. Well, go on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> the Atkins diet of. Uh, of uh, media consumption, too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions. And we've learned from this Dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear. So, Dad, I'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation, just barely, but it's something that I've been thinking about all week. I wanted to f- get some good, you know, meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and, and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.